From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just dandy. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm um, keeping busy as always. So <laughs> that is important. That is that is true. Yeah. We we have a big couple of weeks because everybody's looking forward, of course, to Disney Plus. Yeah, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, well, you know, we we don't have to give you any more reminders about the Q and A episodes because the deadline's arrived. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, we're not taking any more questions. Yeah, but so, uh, that's, that's all fine. So we had a yeah. bunch of good submissions, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to have two very entertaining episodes for you in December that will kind of uh, that will help kick off our our end of the year bash of sorts. Because after after those episodes, then we we will have our we'll have our big Christmas episode where we kind of dig in right. uh, to a little Disney and Christmas mashup, and then we're gonna. We're going to send you all on your way to enjoy enjoy the rest of the holiday season, however That's you celebrate. Right. That's right. And that last one, you know, Craig spikes the eggnog, and who knows what's going to go on on this show. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I, I don't even have the heart to buy eggnog right now. I've seen it in the store like six times, and I'm like, it, ooh. It was, it was in the stores out here before Halloween. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I it's usually I like dig my feet in and I I start I start by looking at at the grocery store just looking at the non-alcoholic version and like I can buy it. I can just buy the little the little version and you know what? Mm-hmm. It's ultimately if I go out and have like an eggnog drink somewhere uh, at a bar or something, they're going to charge me like five times the amount that this one little small mm-hmm small carton costs so i'll just i'll get one i'll have you know two cups of it and then toss the rest in and then that turns into buying two bottles of the alcoholic version and then going back to get the carton and you know me whipping out my bourbon because i didn't feel like there was enough alcohol in the alcoholic version and uh that's my slow slide into into you finding out that i have a problem when it comes to nog (laughs) yeah i I don't care for the spiked eggnog. I like pure eggnog. So I'm very particular about my eggnog because I don't drink a lot of it because a little goes a long way. And I have dairy allergies. So mm. if I'm going to drink eggnog, it better be good eggnog. So, um, But I think I don't care for spiked eggnog. This, a lot of my what I don't like seems to go back to my father. Uh, when I was little, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of people over all the time but they did like at christmas and easter and thanksgiving we did so and i loved it because i think that's now why i can't resist snacky foods Mm -hmm, you know a mm -hmm. little hors d'oeuvres at parties because that's the only time we had them in our house was the holidays and i loved them and there was one year my dad made spiked eggnog and i and my my dad was one that he would allow us to taste alcohol when we were young because he felt his philosophy was take the mystery away and when we go away you know to high school and university and all that stuff we're not going to get into the beer busts and you know the cake parties and all that kind of stuff because it's not going to be a big deal to us and he was right and so (laughs) i don't know i think i was like eight or nine and he let me try the eggnog because i liked regular eggnog And oh dear Lord, I don't. There was a lot of nog and very little egg. In it. <laughs> I don't know what he poured in it because he had been working on this a while. <laughs> That's and excellent. so, um, oh my gosh, it like knocked my socks off. 
and um, I I didn't. So anyway, I don't like I don't like uh, alcoholic eggnog. I don't ever since. Yeah, I I don't know why I like it. Like I. I under I I know why I like it. I just can't describe the taste that sticks out. And like I do like just regular eggnog by itself, but something about having like for me, I know some people put rum in, some people put brandy. I like a nice a nice whiskey with it. I feel like that they complement the flavors well, but it, it to me it's just uh, it is it is so good in both formats and it's part of what helps me kick off my uh my my holiday uh my holiday binging and mm-hmm. what, but the only problem is that I'm, I'm still getting used to and i mean you look at pictures of me six years ago you can kind of put together the the progression of it it's very strange to me because of course from being up north in pennsylvania you're used to once it gets to the christmas time and you know the winter you're you might be out shoveling snow and stuff and go to the gym but for the most part you're you're sedentary for a couple months while you're staying inside and staying warm and you know even when i go snowboarding and stuff it end up getting so worn out that i was eating like probably five times the amount of calories that i was burning and so you know you put on put on your little winter weight but in florida it's it's the opposite like i'm sure all the other warmer weather places where it's you know during during the winter season that's when you start going outside and you're more active and it's summer when you stay inside and avoid the heat and and gain your little bit of weight and stuff but i still i still eat and drink during the holiday season like i'm living up in pennsylvania so uh, i'm i'm not able to to lose what i'm intaking i'm on a i'm on a steady diet of um, a complete month with turkey and ham and and making sure that i have lots of lots of beaujolais and and eggnog and mm-hmm. nice piney beers so it's a it's a tough tough ride for me <laughs> well well you know it's going to be time to get out of the get out the snacks because uh disney fans are quivering with excitement as November 12th approaches for the launch of Disney Plus. And we've seen glimpses of it at, you know, at the D23 Expo, through press releases. Uh, uh, well, I think it's over three hours of a video they release yeah. of everything that's on Disney Plus. I gave up after about 15 minutes. Oh, you made and, it longer than me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and also what the folks, at, I don't know, Potsylvania or the Netherlands or somewhere, they reported because they've had it a while. And um, there are some YouTube reports that I caught about that. So Disney Plus launches in November. Now, there were all those deals. I don't know if they're all still running. D23 had deals. Um, there there were online deals and all that. But yeah. I, I, th- I don't know if they're still running those this late in the, in the game now. They are. the. I mean, obviously, the, the big one, the D23 deal... That was, if you're a D23 member, and you could have been a free member as well, if you would have signed up before September 3rd, that was the one where you got an entire year for for free, uh, essentially, with mm-hmm. it. And then this this next deal that is still running, I mean, it, it pops up, like, I get it from Disney Movie Club and other random places, and it's still, it's still a good deal. I can't remember uh, what what its actual value is but it's not quite as good as the deal that was for d23 members that they announced with the expo and i i think it's it's going to be back and forth for a little while here of uh you know messing around with certain deals to to really goat people in because even though i think disney's expectation is moderate for subscribers from the get-go you know they want more than anything to to shatter their subscribers upon launch Mm -hmm. they they want they want as many people as they can get in there and i uh, there will be people who are just fine and dandy paying full price for it not not taking advantage of these deals but they're they're not just gonna give up on them uh they're they're gonna they're gonna push deals until until they get the amount of subscribers that they want out of it Mm -hmm. yeah now the service i i think 
this is going to be like $6.99 a month. Um, subscribers can opt for a monthly $12.99 bundle that includes Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN. But I think that's with commercials. And Disney is skipping subscriber tiers. And all subscribers will have access to seven account profiles, four simultaneous streams, as well as 4K and HDR yeah. content. Which is huge. Uh, the, that is. Adding the 4K and HDR content. You know, like Amazon Prime makes 4K and uh, HDR available to their subscribers. And Netflix, you can get it. But that's the plan that's fifteen ninety nine a month to have mm-hmm. that. So uh, it... That is, that's a big deal for Disney Plus to be adding this at at six ninety nine a month, and and you know even cheaper for the people who took advantage of the deals. And like you said, you know there is there is the bundle available, and I don't know how ESPN Plus works with it, but the only place where you would see the ads is actually on Hulu. Like if you just had a basic Hulu uh, Hulu account right now, but I did see today that they announced that part of the deal to get some of the streaming rights to go to Disney plus for some of the movies, including force awakens is that, uh, Disney plus and ESPN plus on certain platforms will show static banners for stars. And oh. that's how they were able to, to kind of mend bridges with that. Cause like if you, if for some reason you have stars, then you know that they actually do have a lot of Disney's catalog that shows on there and so for disney plus to be able to take some of that they have to they they worked out a deal where they have to show some ads but from what i read it's not going to be like before anything you watch on disney plus you're going to see an ad served for for stars it's not going to be like that Mm -hmm. but it it could you might see it pop up okay now, although the whole Disney film library won't be available on November 12th, there is a lot to look forward to. So in the next two episodes, Craig and I are going to share our top 10 lists of what we are planning to watch first on Disney+. Plus. So uh, now, in his book, The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger writes about how the Walt Disney Company got into the streaming service. He writes that around the time the company was looking into purchasing Twitter, they invested in BamTech, which was a company that had perfected streaming baseball games on a subscription basis for Major League Baseball. And the company had also been hired by HBO to build a streaming service in time for season five of Game of Thrones after HBO failed to build it themselves. So in August 2016, the Walt Disney Company agreed to pay about $1 billion for 33% interest in BamTech with an option to buy controlling interest in 2020. But in 2017, the Disney board decided to accelerate their plan to buy controlling interest in BamTech and then use that platform to launch Disney and an ESPN direct-to-consumer over-the-top streaming service. And the board said, and this is a quote, speed was of the essence to adapt quickly to the change in business and how consumers wanted their products before the company experienced profound disruption to its business. So in 2017, they bought full control of BamTech and announced plans to launch two streaming services, one for ESPN in 2018 and one for Disney in 2019. Now, Bob Iger says Disney Plus is a reinvention of the company. They will continue to support traditional television as long as it generates decent returns, which I think that's an interesting statement, considering they mm-hmm. own ABC. Mm-hmm. And, and will continue to present films in movie theaters, but will now distribute their own content straight to consumers without intermediaries. With Disney Plus, the company recognizes they are hastening their own disruption and short-term losses will be significant by giving up hundreds of millions of dollars in licensing fees to other subscription services like Netflix. However, Bob Iger believes this change in their business model will generate long-term growth. 
Bob also made a decision not to create a new studio to develop exclusive content for Disney+. He wanted executives from their own existing studios to develop the content. So, you know, Craig, this is very similar to Walt's outlook on the new technology of television back in the 1950s. You know, most film studios saw this new technology as a threat and stayed away from it. And since they owned movie theater chains, they threatened to not carry films of studios that entered into agreements with television networks. And Walt saw television as an opportunity to not only finance his family theme park, but he realized he could promote his films and create new content to tell his stories. So Walt changed the business model for his company and ultimately the film industry back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. So... And so it looks like that's what um, Bob Iger is going to be doing now. Yes. And I, you know, we're just like we don't do for question and answer. We're not going to we're not going to sit here and think about what the all the implications of what what Walt would truly think about Disney Plus. And, you know, looking back on it in 100 years from now, who knows what will be around. But what impact this will have on the legacy of Bob Iger. But uh, it's like I mentioned a couple episodes ago with this, it, it just blows my mind that, that this level of access to Disney material is going to be this available in one streaming place that you have, as long as you have a subscription, because it's, they even said, you know, there will be, because of some of the deals working out, there will be points where there will be content that leaves Disney Plus and, you know, for a temporary time till they can get it back. But as long as you have it downloaded to a device, you don't lose access to that. You keep it. And that's unreal because even, you know, if I've ever had anything downloaded in Netflix, as soon as that's gone, it's gone. So the mm-hmm. fact that on Disney Plus, like, pull out any any phone, or old phone, any place that you have where you can get Disney Plus on there and download as much as you can to them, and as long as the device works, you'll have access to it. Like, that's that's insane, but just the fact that kids will never have to live in a world where it's you're waiting on the vault schedule and yeah every seven years like i did i my generation did yeah Yeah. and even i did you know i had the i had the benefit of having television very much more prominent with the disney channel and then seeing stuff on abc and stuff so i had even more than you did but still it's those those big tentpole ones we we didn't have to wait seven years necessarily for them to come out in theaters but we had to wait for them to come back from vhs and then go into dvd and maybe they got a second release on dvd if you didn't get it the first time and then eventually to blu-ray but even then in some cases just because they were out on dvd doesn't mean they were showing on tv so it it's like just to have all of this at your fingertips is it's it's going to revolutionize because right now i i don't have a lot of you know i don't have a lot of young kids in my in my world at this current moment but i know from the ones that are you know in my life it's parents are literally sitting them down with netflix and just playing some of the mindless drivel that's on there and i'm not saying it's bad for the kids it's informational educational uh, exactly what you would want from children's programming while while fun but if they can then introduce disney plus into the mix and have disney and that trusted disney brand to it it's just uh, i wonder how many people just say like okay well my kids love this disney entertainment so this is all i need and that's all they're gonna know there's like i've heard a lot of speculation about that from people with young parent with young children because netflix you know disney pulled a lot of their programming from netflix and they're saying you know a lot of it was what our children watched and so um yeah, I, I, there's a lot of a lot of families are thinking they're waiting for Disney Plus and that they might actually drop some of their other streaming services as a result. Yeah, because I, I know just and, and we're going to get into that a little more in the next episode. Yeah. And you know, just looking at the list on that kids aspect from it, you do a quick short, uh, quick search and find like you do Mickey 
You have Mickey and the Roadster races, Racers, which, of course, is a kids programming. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse mm-hmm. for kids. Like, just right there, there's a whole bunch of Mickey Mouse stuff that you know you can put in front of your kids that's educational and and entertaining to them. And that's just that's just that one little speck right there. That's not even the full-blown uh, portion of it. So it's this is going to be so interesting to me this is yeah. really this is next level disney this will have uh, this will have some of the greatest impact on this company that at least i've ever seen in my generation i know mm-hmm. i know a lot of us come to it through theme parks and just basic movies but uh, this is where you get the realization that the disney company is is a media conglomeration as a whole like I not to go on this too much, but I get bored when I listen to the Comcast earnings calls every every quarter because ninety percent of their call is about cable subscription and that's it. And then like a little bit on movies and a little bit on theme parks. Luckily with Disney, it's a much more even spread. But this we're going to be hearing about subscribers and Disney Plus and and this entire business model every single quarter now for the foreseeable yeah. future because this is this is now going to become some of their bread and butter mm-hmm. i agree yeah and well um so this week we're going to go through my list and next week we'll go through craig's the fun thing is is craig and i did not share each other's list with each other i sent mm-hmm. my list to craig like 30 seconds before we started recording and because we just thought we wanted to do this independently and sort of surprise each other so i've not seen craig's list yet because that's next week's show so it's going to be interesting to see you know you know are we looking forward to the same things different things what's our reasoning you know stuff like that so um so so when Craig first proposed this idea for these episodes, I thought this would be really easy for me because I had planned the list series like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and Timmy Failure, Mistakes Were Made and Muppets Now. Well, they aren't launching on November 12th, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. So um, so I had to really, really rethink my, um, what do I want to watch? So, but... There's so much to choose from. There was a lot. And in all my research, I even found a couple of series I had no idea or I didn't recall from D23 Expo were even launching. So um, so I'm, I'm going to get started with mine. And the first one is one of the reasons I subscribe to Disney+. And that is... The series, The Imagineering Story. And this is by Leslie Iwerks. I talked about this a few weeks back when we had, when Leslie was at the Walt Disney Family Museum talking about, you know, um, Ub Iwerks, her grandfather, and her father, Don, and that she was working on this show. She, of course, wrote a book um, and all the, but, you know, this is going to tell the history and story of Disney's Imagineering Department, and it's going to provide behind-the-scenes look at classic and coming attractions, including the Tron Light Cycle Run that's uh, you know being built at the Magic Kingdom, Rise of the Resistance that's opening at Magic Kingdom in Disneyland in just a few weeks, Enchanted Tale of Bell at Tokyo Disneyland, and the audio animatronics that they've already released for this look amazing um the matterhorn you know in their in their um promo video you know they have bob gurr saying we're taking you into the inner sanctum of the matterhorn that hardly anyone ever sees and the magic kingdom's utilidors there's going to be a lot of footage of walt disney Mm -hmm. in this series Mm -hmm. i am so excited for this yeah i I actually forgot that this was coming out at launch because in some of the list and stuff, it wasn't it wasn't on there. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's with all the lists out there, you're going to forget to put some stuff on here and there. So I just kind of like wrote this off as, OK, well, I'll, I'll be excited when it comes out. But uh, over I think it was yesterday is when I started reading some reviews for it. And it is getting at least from the the two reviews i looked at this is this is a juggernaut um it's you know it literally went from being a 
a feature length documentary and that was all it was going to be. And now it's a six part, six hours series, which mm-hmm. is just like ugh, so, so much to nerd out on. And from what I read, it, it does it does read off as a little bit of marketing here and there, so oh, which yeah. I expect. But mm-hmm. honestly, they they said that it it is it's very gritty and in the details and how they put in and and it you know it doesn't gloss over really anything and it doesn't try to rewrite history to be a lot brighter and happier than it is. So I'm I'm super super excited about this. Like I it, it's. Oh, it's it's tough. This this probably will be one of the first things that I watch. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And, um, okay, my next one, and some of these we talked about when we were doing our live stream from the D twenty three Expo, and they just sounded like fun, and they sounded like things I would normally never watch. Um, Encore, and this is from the executive producer Kristen Bell. Encore will bring together former cast members of high school musicals and and this is like, you know, 20 years later mm-hmm. and follow them along as they recreate their original performance. And this looks like it's a drama almost in the sense that you know, a, a lot of them had, you know, have drama clubs. A lot of them have issues they never resolved. And some of them had to deal with their voices, not, you know, being pitch perfect as they were in high school and not being in the same shape as they were in high school. I think there was issues with someone that was in the military and through an injury no longer walks, can walk, yes. lost the ability to walk. Yeah, I remember So they're that. in a wheelchair, yeah. so they had to re-choreograph. Um, you know, something to accommodate the wheelchair. Uh, And then how much it meant to them when their children and their families came to see them perform and see them in a completely different light, you know, than they ever have before. Uh, So I just think this sounds like fun. I'm going to give it a shot. I will not, I will not try to beat around the bush on this one, but I'm, I'm not a fan of reality shows mm-hmm. uh, i you know it's I, I know there are some reality shows out there that are truly about reality and and very very much straightforward on it but i've just it's never been a it's never been a style that i've been able to attach to and i'm not i'm not quite sure why you know and we can make the jokes that i'm dead inside and i don't i don't feel sympathy or happiness or joy for anyone but it, it's just it's okay it doesn't hook those me. house those housewives of you know potsylvania or whatever no those bring no joy to anybody i don't know how carol could watch all those it's, i just said these are awful people with no redeeming characteristics so there are some reality shows that yeah i i, I see your point yeah, I, i'm gonna give i'm gonna <laughs> give it a chance but you know it, it is it's tough that i i'm hoping that the the people that they chose to be on the show their stories are so compelling that it it draws me in but i'm i it's hard for me to get too excited about this one. So I have a feeling that it'll be a show that like Kylie loves to put on the background and cry over. (laughs) And I'll probably, she's not watching Hallmark channel Christmas. shows. Exactly. Which I already had to do one (laughs) night this past week. And (laughs) I can't handle too much sentimentality during Christmas. It's, it's not the time to be sentimental, but uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I'll give it a shot. I'll just say that. Okay. Okay. Well, the next one is, I think this is sort of the same thing, but I have never seen High School Musical, which I'm going to, which I know is on Disney Plus, and I'm probably going to have to watch it before I watch this next series. And this is High School Musical, the musical, the series. I never would have thought in a million years this would have been on my list. This is a scripted series inspired, of course, by that juggernaut Disney Channel, you know, series of films. This is a 10-episode season. It takes place at the real-life East High, where the original movie was filmed. And it turns out that people are shocked that they their drama club has never put on High School Musical. And so it follows a group of students as they prepare for the opening night of their school's first ever production of High School Musical. So this is filmed in mock 
documentary style. So it's just why I think this could be a lot of fun. But I I have no frame of reference, so I have to um I'm going to have to watch High School Musical, I yeah. think, although even though it's not on my list. I, I'm in the exact same boat as you. I Surprisingly, even though I kind of grew up in the time where it was popular, I, I never gave it the time of day. It's I, I've tried. I've had it on the background or something and listened to it and mostly just rolled my eyes over it. Uh, I, I, under, I get why people love it. It's just not something that I've ever really cared for, but I'm, I'm in the same boat as you where... The, when we saw the the preview for it at D23 Expo, I was slightly intrigued by it. Mostly, I think, because of the mockumentary style. And mm-hmm. it they definitely, it seemed like from the little snippets that we saw, it leans into definitely kind of a dumb humor over, especially over the fact that they haven't put on this musical. And then it, it feels like it starts becoming that blend of you know maybe a little bit of this is spinal tap in there with a little bit of the office and a little bit of parks and recreation all those all those styles coming together and some of the other christopher guest movies and so if it follows that route i think i can get on board for it just because i love i love the style i love mockumentaries Uh, i i really enjoy them and if it plays up I don't want to be mean, but if it plays up that dumb style to it, it's going to be a lot more entertaining for me, and I think I'll be able to to enjoy it a lot more. So, because I, I'll be honest, I didn't watch all of it, but back in the day when Glee was on, I, I watched a lot of that. So, if I did too, Carol and I watched a lot of it, but then I gave up about maybe two to three years before it ended. Yeah, it was about the same time that I did. I think the same time a lot of people did. So, but if it's like, if the students are kind of like that same level of like, oh, we're a little bit airheaded, some of us are a little bit more grounded, and but then taking that kind of style mixed with mockumentary, I think it actually could be a surprise runaway that a lot of mm-hmm. people love. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it should be fun. Another one, well, you know, talked about sentiment a while back. I think this is a very sentimental one. Um, Marvel's Hero Project. And this series will follow the young heroes who are making remarkable and positive change across communities by dedicating their um, lives in selfless acts of bravery and kindness. And every youth who's who's featured in the show will have their own Marvel comic. And it's like the mission statement for this, like for Marvel Entertainment, is in life it doesn't take wearing a suit of iron, carrying a mythical hammer, or swinging from spider webs to be a real hero. Sometimes a person who can make a positive difference in the world is the person who simply sees a problem and has the passion to find a creative solution. So this just intrigues me. Um, you know, I was a teacher for many decades, and I overall my experience working with youth and teenagers was positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I really feel that you know teenagers sort of get a bum rap. I think most of the teens I worked with, and so and maybe I had limited experience. I don't know, but they want to do what's right. They want to be good. They want to be a positive influence. They love their families. They want to be a part of their families. They, I mean, they they want to be successful, um, you know. So, if if that if this show is promoting the goodness in youth and how they're making a positive impact in the world, and and showing that you that people can do this kind of stuff just in their everyday lives, then you know I I'm all for this show and I want it to succeed. So I, I'm I'm going to watch this because I I'm hoping they carry this off really well. Yeah, I'm you know it's it's another one that I'll, I'll give it a chance, but this definitely to me I I feel like I can get behind this one a lot more than than Encore. I feel like this one mm-hmm. would definitely speak to to my interests a lot more and and probably be that surprise one where I get a little bit emotional here and there. So, which uh, yeah. I'll allow myself to get every now and then. So, mm-hmm. I just can't can't give up too much ground. Mhm. 
Yeah. Okay, my next one, and, and mine aren't in any particular order, mm-hmm. but my next one is um, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. I remember, we. I just remember us laughing when we mm-hmm. saw this, because it looks so good. Uh, he explores familiar objects, and I, I get, the point of the show is sort of inspire us to look at things in a brand new way. So he explores the world, and they're, they're trying to keep this secret what he does but i think in the previous day he went to a tattoo parlor um how ice cream was made how sneakers were made you know and all that and his whole thing his whole premise is i don't know anything so i'm here to learn and i like that kind of thing and i'm always interested in seeing how things are made so i i think this is going to be a fun um, an interesting series, and I think um, with his sense of humor, Jeff Good- Goldblum is going to make this a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's another one that I've been kind of keeping my eyes on the reviews for as it's it's been coming in, and I the the two that I, I read so far basically confirm two things, and it's one that Jeff Goldblum is just as quirky in the show that you would hope for, uh, which mm-hmm. it's so weird because. Like this whole persona that he's developed into. I'm not saying it wasn't always what he was, but the one that has been like really blasted out there on social media and stuff the past couple years, he's just, he is so weird, but like not in a bad way. It's like you just, you can't stop watching him. He's like, just the way he moves, the way he talks, the the rhythm to everything he does. It's just, it, it's very captivating. And so they say, that the entire level of quirkiness that he always is in life is is shown off perfectly in the show and and the the other thing i saw was just that it's really the it, it this will be a show that it, it if it keeps going on and they just keep filming episodes it there there will never be enough of it uh apparently mm-hmm. it's just it's really really well done and oh, one of the good. best things that is is actually coming out of disney plus and you know that's that's just one reviewer's opinion on it but it's i it's hard to it's hard to read that and be like well i can't i can't imagine that that's not true because it, it seems like jeff goldblum's one of those people that the world has just unanimously decided is a national treasure and so I, I feel like if I met someone who said they didn't care for him, I, I would really have to step back and, and wonder if I wanted them in my life. But everyone else then is like, yeah, he's he's the greatest. So I it, it's another one where it's I just I know not only will I watch it as quickly as I can every time there's a new episode, I will probably rewatch it over and over and over again. doesn't matter if, if I'm learning the same thing over and over. Uh, it's just about noticing all these little details and in, in the way he is and the way he's finding out about these things. I'm sure it's going to be just mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, yeah. You're right. It's going to be great. I think. And we'll learn something along the way too. So, speaking of learning something along the way, and there's another show on here that I'm going to be learning something. I think we all will. And that's Forky Asks a Question. Of course, this is Forky from Toy Story 4 that Tony Hale managed to not make too obnoxious. And he returns to as Forky. Uh, for uh, This is going to be uh, 10 episodes. And it's... it's and basically... Forky asks important questions about how the world works, like, what is love? What is time? What is cheese? And along the way, as he explores these questions, some of his pals from the Toy Story films might give him some assistance and some ideas and advice. And a lot of that is uh, they tried to keep, again, a bit of a surprise as to what other characters are going to be on the show. But... um, I know we saw Ham in one of the clips they showed at D23 Expo was on the show. I I believe we actually saw that full episode, and that was What is Money? Yeah, and that was hilarious. Yeah. So so I I think this is going to be fun. Yes, it it absolutely will be. I I agree with your assessment on Tony Hill as Forky that it – I don't know if it was just the way he portrays the character or then actual – 
really good writing with with the people who wrote the character for for Toy Story Four, but something about Forky just works. And the fact that we saw one of the episodes and know the humor, know the timing, know the 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 beats with it, it's, it's clear that everything you love about Forky from Toy Story Four, they managed to put in all of these shorts. And mm-hmm. that's my only issue with Forky as a question is it's we know that they are definitely short form i believe that episode was like six seven minutes somewhere around in there so Mm -hmm. only 10 of them i mean that's you're looking at an hour of material on there i think the world's gonna want a lot more and Mm -hmm. uh it's and it yeah i i just i'm i'm pumped for it i i'm a major forky fan every single time i saw a forky uh kid come up dressed up as forky during halloween i I got so excited, so I can't wait for I can't wait <laughs> well, for this series. Well, maybe there'll be a second season where Forky asks more questions. Well, I, you know what? Just sign him for a hundred episodes. Let's get him straight to syndication. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, again from Pixar, my next one on my list is Spark Shorts, and this is a new label of Pixar Shorts, and it's created in a program that's designed to discover new storytellers, explore new storytelling techniques, and experiment with new production workflows. So it's an independent filmmaking inside of Pixar. And some of them have already been released. We've talked about some of them on the show, like Pearl, Smash, and Grab, and um, Kitbull were all from Spark Shorts. And those you can go out on YouTube. And, and watch those and they're really good um, they have some upcoming releases that are going to be on Disney Plus um, Float Loop and Wind and uh, so I'm really looking forward to these and I, I hope there's going to be a whole lot more yeah. in in this in this series I'm happy it, it, I assumed that these were going to be on anyways but uh, to me I don't think it was insulting that Pixar only was able to start off by debuting them by uploading them to social media and youtube but i feel like disney plus is a nice home for them so it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit more distinguished you know it, not that there's anything wrong with keeping it on social media it's a great platform to get it out of there and you know you can see a lot of that real-time feedback with them too but it's you know it I, I, most people still only view social media on their on their phones and stuff like it's why with Diz videos we recommend that if it's on our Diz channel that we shoot everything in 4K on we recommend if you have a 4K TV to watch it through that so you get the most out of it and so like these shorts you know they're they're developed that if they were to be shown in theaters then they're going to look amazing in a theatrical release so if they can't be released theatrically at least you know watch them on tv watch them on disney plus Mm -hmm. not not just from a phone or from from listening to them through your computer speakers on your laptop while you're laying in bed watch them watch them in a way that's that's more warranted for for the effort that's put into them yeah yeah well speaking of disney plus being home for stories that maybe aren't quite ready for theatrical release maybe they're not big enough or they're not they might not bring in a a big enough audience to warrant a theatrical release the next one on my list falls into that category because i think um star wars is finding a home for um features like that uh and the, the mandalorian this is going this is the centerpiece the crown jewel of the disney plus lineup this is the first live action star wars series if you don't count those um ewok films mm-hmm. yeah, and the eight. caravan of courage and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and um you know and and john favreau is the writer creator showrunner of this series um there's filmmakers like david filoni and taika watiti is that how you say his name michael you nailed it yeah oh wow you got it um directing episodes um this is set after the events of return of the jedi it's eight episodes and it stars pedro pascal as the as the title gunfighter Uh, there's other folks who are going to be in it like nick nolte giancarlo esposito and watiti is the voice of a droid and 
the trailers this looks spectacular this looks this is more the star wars feel for me that i remember from my younger days yeah i'm I'm very excited about the mandalorian yeah uh, rhino's been trying to put some doubts in my head about it and saying you know it's is this just going to be a disaster that we all come together and and just love because we feel like we feel like we have to at this point and i i'm i'm definitely on the boat you mentioned that maybe it's not ready for theatrical release and stuff i'm I'm just more on the boat behind it, even though I haven't seen it yet and I can't speak to it. I want to believe that it's because with Lucasfilm, they're really looking at their their policies moving forward and realizing that there is a benefit to being able to use the format that HBO has been so successful with and so many mm-hmm. other uh, streaming services and such that it's easier to really flesh out a story and be more interesting when you you split it up over eight or ten parts and you know let the episodes vary in length right around an hour give or take or 40 minutes however long you want it to be but you can you can tell a tighter overall story by making it that long and really letting it all flesh out i mean it's there's there's no doubt in my mind that the the star wars theatrical releases that have been put out i'm i'm since disney took over i've been a fan of every single one of them and that's that's just my stance on it but i can't wait to see what happens when disney plus treats this like like all these other hit shows like game of thrones or one of my favorite ones that i've been hooked on since last year uh, amazon's their take on jack ryan with john krasinski i like these these mm-hmm. solid eight to ten episode series that that really dig in so uh i'm i'm looking looking forward to it a lot yeah yeah me too me too uh the next one on my list this is only out of obligation (laughs) so lady and the tramp this is of course a live action retelling of the 1955 animated classic. It features the voice of Tessa Thompson as Lady, Justin Thoreau as Tramp. Of course, it's the story of two pups from different sides of the track who make a life together. Um, there's a whole lot of other big names in here that voice characters and are live action humans. I I, I'm not real enthusiastic about watching this. I just sort of feel I have to. So <laughs> I I feel the same way. I don't want to watch it. I don't. It might take me a while to watch it. Mm-hmm. But my dogs also bark at the TV when there's a dog on the screen. Well, only Elvis barks at the dogs on the screen, and then Crosby starts barking because he doesn't understand what Elvis is barking about. So oh, I I wouldn't be able to make it through this show i i this will be one where i have to just go back on what i said and i will have to watch it lying in bed on a phone hidden under a blanket so the dogs can't see that there's another dog there otherwise i it, it'll just be way too obnoxious <laughs> so and i actually for those of you who are all surprised what no films i have a film on my list as my final selection and we talked about this on once and we were talking about this this family robinson i think from one of our uh treasures from the disney vault um episodes this is the 1940 version of the swiss family robinson and i have never seen this it was it was released by rko pictures it's it's of course based on the 1812 novel the swiss family robinson it's the first feature-length film version of it and um and and then um you know uh walt disney made the second film now this one is set in london of 1813 and a swiss father william robinson so all you lost in space fans will robinson i wonder if they had that in mind i don't know what this he wants to escape the the influence of of the superficial excesses of London that that's having on his family. So his eldest son Fritz, who's Tim Holt, is obsessed with Napoleon, whom he considers his hero. His middle son Jack, who's Freddie 
Bartholomew is a foolish dandy who cares only about fashion and money, and his dreamy son Ernst or Ernest is Terry Kilburn is preoccupied with reading and writing to the exclusion of all else. So William Robinson, he sells his business and house to move his wife and four sons to Australia. Um, they set out on a, on a ship for, for the faraway country and then they get shipwrecked on a remote deserted Island. The, the captain and crew are washed overboard during a storm. So they create a home for themselves and gradually, you know, learn to live live with the land uh but the mother <laughs> misses her elegant home and community in England and wants to somehow be rescued and returned. But the father slowly convinces her that living in a natural environment is better for the family and that they are meant to be there. So I'm intrigued by this version of Swiss Family Robinson because you can tell Walt had a completely different take mm-hmm. on the characters for um, his film, which is one of my favorite Disney films. Yeah, I was uh, I was really shocked that this was on that list because <laughs> I, as soon as I saw it pop up in 1940, I, I think I had the same thoughts as many people out there and like, wow, this is embarrassing that Disney sent out this list and they got the date wrong for the year wrong for Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, but you know, in, unless we get to November twelfth, and and it's not on there, and then we'll have to be like, okay, well, I guess that was a mistake. But if it's on there, it's something I will definitely check out. I am intrigued by it. I've never seen it before, and it's it's the kind of content that's just it's some of the things I'm most excited about Disney Plus: discovering things that I haven't had a chance to see before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, and so. That's my top 10. This is what I'm looking forward to the most when Disney Plus launches on November 12th. So, so will any of the films debuting on Disney Plus show up in This Week in Disney History? Let's find out, but I'll be asking the questions instead of Forky. Okay, Craig, this is for the week of November 17th. Okay, Disney launched an all-new Muppets website on November 17, 2004. I'm sure you know it well. The site features games, biographies of the Muppet characters, screensavers, and news about current projects, including the next Muppet film scheduled to air on ABC TV next May. What is the name of this film? The film would have been uh, Wizard of Oz. That's right, the Muppets, wonderful Wizard of Oz. So, how how do you feel about this take on the Wizard of Oz? It's not terrible, but it's this, it's one of those ones. I'm here's where I put on my nerdy Muppet glasses here, but it's one of those ones that falls into this gray area where it, it's hard to say one way or another if this is considered an actual Muppet movie. I mean, in terms of length, it definitely is, but because it wasn't a theatrical release, is it? should it be held on the same standard? And some people I know consider it, others, including myself, don't. But it's overall, it's not that bad. There's, there's worse uh, Muppet features out there. Not features, but mm-hmm. there, there's worse usage of the Muppet characters out there than Wizard of Oz. Well, let's just hope the Muppets don't do a take on Maleficent. Although it'll be a better. Yeah, it'll be better. So let's hope they do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. November 18th, Mickey Mouse stars in Steamboat Willie, the first commercially successful animated cartoon to use synchronized sound and debuts as a sneak preview at the Universal's Colony Theater, located at Broadway and 53rd Street in New York City on November 18th, 1928. However, this is not the first Mickey Mouse short made by Walt Disney and his animators. It's actually the third. What are the names of the first two Mickey Mouse shorts they created? The first one, of course, is Plain Crazy. Mm-hmm. And the second is... Hmm. 
I'm embarrassed right now. I am. I always know playing crazy. Um, give me a hint. Um, well, it, it it has it has to do sort of with a horse south of the border kind of thing. I with gaucho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what is what do you do when you're riding a horse? It can go into a the uh, galloping gaucho. <laughs> That's right. There we go. That's okay. Right. I don't know if my sound effects came through. It. Oh, <laughs> I got it now. I got it. Okay. I, when like, what is happening on your end? Like, is you readjusting your mic or something? Although this is not the first Mickey Mouse cartoon made or released, it is still considered Mickey Mouse's true debut and his birthday. So happy ninety first birthday to mickey mouse all right november 19th born on november 19th 1906 in new york city actress eleanor audley voiced two of walt disney's greatest villains in my opinion and a character in a classic disney theme park attraction which characters did miss audley voice I know that she's the voice of Maleficent. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure okay. what else, though. Okay, you're right. Walt Disney's 1959 Sleeping Beauty, she was um, Maleficent, and she was Lady Tremaine in oh. the 1950 Cinderella. I should have known and that. And for both films, animator Mark Davis created the character's facial features to resemble Miss Audley. What about um, theme park attraction? Do you happen to know that? Um, she's she's Leota, isn't she? That's right. Yeah. So she is Madame Leota's voice. And fans, of course, of the 1960s sitcom Green Acres may remember Miss Audley for her role of Eunice, who was Oliver Douglas's mother. Uh, I was so embarrassed when uh kylie and i went to uh a hockey game a couple weeks ago penguins in in tampa bay and the organist was playing green acres and (laughs) i i leaned over to her and i said you know what's sad is that probably two-thirds of the people in here don't even realize that they're listening to the theme of green acres and of course she turned to me and said what's green acres and oh, dear. Like, oh. but that was one of my mom's favorite shows so i loved that show when i was a little boy yeah. oh my gosh i loved that. okay and and the and the actor that got the most fan mail was arnold the pig <laughs> <laughs> now that's trivia for you <laughs> yeah that was that. Uh, that was when CBS connected all of their rural shows because the people on Green Acres knew the people in the Beverly Hillbillies, and they knew the people in Petticoat Junctions, yeah. and the characters would move freely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was... I thought that was fun. I liked that synergy before we had the word. Yeah, and that was my mom's other favorite, Petticoat Junction. I yeah, that's on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah. I, I and the theme songs were all shoved in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, TV Land. Okay, November 20th, the second full-length computer animated feature produced by the partnership of Disney and Pixar Studios is released in Los Angeles on November 20th, 1998. What is the name of the film? That would be A Bug's Life. That's right. And it features an all-star cast, including Dave Foley, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Dennis Leary, David Hyde Pierce, Brad Garrett, Kevin Spacey, Phyllis Diller, John Ratzenberger, and Roddy McDowell. Wow, there's a lot of of big names in there. Uh, Directed by John Lasseter, the plot of the film is loosely based on Aesop's fable, The Ants and the Grasshopper, and A Bug's Eye Fool be generally released on November 25th. Yeah, I always forget that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was a part of it. So, like, when they brought her out for the expo to to help promote Onward, and, you know, they started saying, like, oh, your return to Pixar. It's like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about Princess that. Princess Ada, I think, yep. wasn't mm-hmm, she? Mm-hmm. Yep. And ju- yeah, but just an awesome, awesome cast. And, you know, it's it's just a shame that 
that movie came during the time it did in in the grand scheme of Pixar because I, I feel like it probably would have been a little bit better received if it would have been released more around the time like after Finding Nemo. It, it might be thought of more fondly, but unfortunately yeah. it quickly it quickly sank to the bottom of most people's list of favorite Pixar movies and until Cars came out and, and took care of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Cars And two, Cars 2 took game along and took care of that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I like the first Cars. I do too. It's It's grown on me. Yeah. Okay, November 21st. Which Disney luminary served as Grand Marshal for the 18th annual Magnificent Mile Lights Festival in Chicago, Illinois on November 21st, 2009? Uh, I don't have a guess. No, it was Mickey Mouse. Oh, yeah. I think you threw me off there. I was thinking by coincidence. uh, I think Disney Playhouse Live was being performed here. Oh, okay. At an arena. Yeah, yeah. So Mickey was in the neighborhood. I was thinking human. I wasn't thinking. uh, I wasn't thinking animal. Yeah, yeah. So okay, November twenty second, the Julie Andrews Hour, Disneyland. Airs on ABC TV on November 22nd, 1972. The Julie Andrews Hour, hosted by Julie Andrews, who of course is the star of Walt Disney's Mary Poppins, is a weekly television variety series with each hour-long episode featuring celebrity guests. This episode pays tribute to the films of Walt Disney and includes a rare on-screen appearance by a Disney voice actress. Who was this special guest star? Considering I'm just finding out about the Julie Andrews Hour, I don't even have a guess for you, but I, I want to go back and watch this now, if it's somewhere available. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus. It's on YouTube. Somebody broke it up into seven episodes of like just a few minutes each. It, 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 unfortunately, you know, 72, I don't know what they recorded this with, and then they transferred it to videotape, yeah. and then they must, then they, it's... The quality is not great. Yeah, they they probably uh, would have shot it to it, when it was broadcasted. It was probably broadcasted onto tape then. So I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. degradation on degradation. So it, yeah, well, it it was a Disney princess. If that helps, it, if it does not help, I mean, okay. seventy two. How many were there at that point? So many. Oh, well, it was. It was Adriana Casalotti, the voice of Snow White for the 1937 animated classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Hmm. And she, um, they, they sing a lovely duet together. But this is worth watching when Julie Andrews sings at the very end, When You Wish Upon a Star, she just blows it away i mean oh my gosh her her vocal range she 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 is extraordinary so um it's worth watching if you don't want to go through the whole thing watch episode seven um okay uh, also um the episode features dancer singer actor donald o'connor oh and the singing group the young americans and and the series will run for 24 episodes and win eight Emmy Awards. Hmm. And uh, unfortunately, this debuted, so, you know, 72, these, these variety shows were sort of on their way out. You know, by this time, you know, you had Sonny and Cher was on, but they were all just sort of, they were in their last gasps because people's tastes were changing you know at this point so they were more into like all in the family and 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 you know shows like that so definitely it was a dying breed yeah yeah so i have a feeling if she'd started earlier like you know more of what when the carol burnett show was in its heyday and all of that she probably would have been a lot more successful well that's still i mean she's accomplished a couple good things in her life Oh yeah, yeah. But it this is fun. and there are other episodes that people have recorded. Yeah, that I, I discovered on YouTube. I already opened up a tab and and have it all set up. So after we're done tonight, I can okay, I can watch great. some. 
Okay. Okay, November 23rd, a new Mickey Mouse balloon makes its debut leading Macy's 74th annual Thanksgiving Day Parade down Broadway in New York City on November 23rd, 2000. What is the name of this balloon? Or if you want the theme of this balloon. I don't believe I know the answer, so I would... I have the plush of this, because Macy's sold plushes of this. Yeah, this would have this would have been, you know, I was 13, so I was probably I'm too old to, to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I just... Oh, you're never too old. I, uh, when you're a 13-year-old brat, you kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is band leader Mickey, and he's mm. all decked out in his classic red and gold band uniform with gold epaulets and buttons. And he soars into the skies. He keeps beat with his baton. He re- His return to the New York... Macy's Parade comes after an 18-year hiatus. Mickey first appeared in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade in 1934, and then from 1971 until 1982. So that's it for this week. Man, tough one. Yeah, it was. (laughs) But you did okay. Well, in the next episode, Craig will share his top ten list, which I have not seen yet. So, no. are we looking forward to the same series and films? Will Maleficent be at the top of his list, or will it be nothing but Muppet films and series? Well, you're going to have to tune in next week to find out. Mm-hmm. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the random shows of the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Check out the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disneyplug.com or at the link Craig always provides in the show notes. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.